everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whichever part of the world you are dialing in from or tuning in, welcome to another episode of Go Impact Chats. I'm your host, Helene Lee. I'm also the co-founder of Go Impact, a platform designed and developed to fast track and accelerate sustainable investments and sustainable finance. I'm so pleased to have with me today, Deborah Rue. Deborah is one of the top influencers driving inclusion, diversity, and a whole range of topics around sustainable investments. She has also led one of the largest uh, online chats on the Twitter platform for quite a while. So, Deborah, say hi to our listeners. Hello, everyone. And, Helene, thank you so much for the work you're doing and for having me on the program. I'm very honored to participate. Oh, it's lovely to have you here. Now, in terms of inclusion and diversity, I really want to start by picking your brain a little bit around that because that forms like a lot of the, the, the lovely work that you're doing. Um, so how do you see this agenda moving forward? Are we really getting somewhere in terms of being inclusive? Because that is so important for like the future of work, quote unquote. Right, I agree. And I think especially as right now more of our populations are aging and they're the generations, there's a, a very large generation often called baby boomers that are now all over the age of 55 and older. I know in the States, for example, every single day this year, 10,000 Americans will turn 60. And mm. the United States and the UK and Japan, of course, is um, they're they're uh, they're aging faster than any other population. So, what we're seeing is a burden put on the workforce, a burden for um, for for more workers. Workers, of course, we continue to see the problem with workers not being really trained to do the jobs that are available and that are becoming available. But this really puts disability inclusion and diversity inclusion in and even a more critical state because we need to make sure that if someone in a society wants to work, that we give them the tools, the education, the experiences, everything that they need so they can actually join and stay in the workforce because the workforce is actually shrinking right now and will over the next 20 to 30 years. So this is a really important time and we are seeing that um, because of all of that and because we are, I believe, as a humanity becoming more involved and realizing that we need to stop deciding that certain parts of our population can't add value. Um, Mm. We are starting to see some very nice tractions. Mm, Excellent. Um, I think there are probably, you know, a lot of technology that could be enablers in terms of driving inclusion, but there are also a few challenges. Like if you look at AI and blockchain and some of these very, you know, uh, prominent, you know, kind of emerging technology, very often we see a lot of, you know, unconscious bias, you know, seeping in. Um, How do you see this issue being resolved? I know this is one of the topics that you also work closely with. Yes, and that's a great question, Helene. Uh, Unconscious bias affects us all. We all have them, and they're unconscious. And there's... 
you know, there's debates about how is the best, how and why should we deal with this unconscious bias? As we now are creating artificial intelligence, most, of course, AI is narrow AI or machine learning, but still, as we are creating this and getting more and more um, efficient at it and creative and innovative with it, especially um, some of the AI that we see being built in Asia, very, very interesting stuff. We have to really take a look at our unconscious bias Otherwise, we are going to be programming it that right, right into the artificial intelligence, and mm. um, it, and it it is going to continue to hold back millions and millions, and um, well, estimates say billions of people. So it's something we have to be very conscious of when we're building this um, this new technology. Absolutely. And I think you don't know what you don't know, right? So if you are right. unconscious, you know, about it, uh, it's actually, you know, the, I, I know there are lots of, um, you know, professors and so on working along those lines to make sure that we are actually aware or cognizant of these unconscious bias so that we do not translate that into all the technology like machine learning, deep learning, and so on. Um, right. Are you aware of how that impacts some of the corporates that you work with? Yes. As a matter of fact, I um, I also have another show, which I'm delighted that you're going to be on, but it's called Human Potential at Work. And I recently interviewed, uh, first of all, we, we interviewed this gentleman on Access Chat, the tweet chat you mentioned, AXS Chat that I uh, host with Anthony and excuse me, Antonio Santos and Neil Milliken didn't mean to change his name. And this this gentleman is the president of um, Siemens in Germany, and his name is Rob Newhauser. And it was a fascinating conversation because he was talking about unconscious bias and also pointed out that Siemens has five generations working for them. And I know that um, Neil and Antonio are with Atos, and they commented that they also have five generations. I mean, think of that. We've never seen that. We've never seen five generations in one workforce. Think of the opportunities and the challenges that go with that. And so they really wanted to make sure, because Siemens is building a lot of AI and other technology, they wanted to try to address this unconscious bias in the workforce and in programming. And so they they created some very innovative courses and they didn't call this course learn to overcome your unconscious bias because they figured nobody would want to come to that. So instead they said, these are courses that can teach you to understand how your brain works and how other people's brains works. Mm -hmm. And they have 375,000 employees, 200,000 of those employees voluntarily took this course because they found it fascinating. And then they um, actually applied some of the learning to some of the HR process they were doing. And they were quite surprised that after many making these changes that they were hiring um, 50% more women engineers than in the past. Mm, that's very interesting. Yes. Um, it's sort of like almost, you know, unconsciously uh, you are hampering or limiting your ability to deliver better uh, and right. to build a, a much more effective and optimizing your workforce. Um, so there's a real dollar sign attached to being uh, inclusive, correct? Right. 
I agree. I agree. And and we're seeing such, we're seeing a lot of leadership happen. And one thing that I do, I, I'm located in the United States, but I believe that innovation doesn't come from one place. We really need to look at this from a global landscape. And I know you totally agree with me there, Helene. And we're all in this together. So a lot of the largest problems that we are trying to solve a society, including climate change and, you know, making sure that we are all looking at the sustainable development goals that the United Nations has laid out for us. There are 17 of them. We all have to come together and work together to make sure that the world works for as many people, if not, can I say all people, that we all can be included to the best of our abilities and society will support, you know, support those efforts. So I think it's very interesting times right now. Very disruptive, very innovative, very also stressful uh, around the world. <laughs> it's yeah, stressful. Absolutely. absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Deborah. Because basically, if you look at it, um, technology has made the world much smaller. Uh, and with right. the globalization, um, you know, like we are in two different places. We are chatting. We know each other quite well by now. And it really, there's no two ways about it. You can't just look at it from a very fixated set of lens. Um, you need to be re- inclusive. Otherwise, you're really missing out a big chunk of opportunities uh, going forward. Now, this brings me to another point that was quite interesting. And I know you have quite a bit of um, insights in this. Do you see this coming, you know, the sustainable investment thing, sustainable development thing around the SDGs, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Do you see that being adopted more and more by the capital markets and capital owners? I really do. I, there are some fascinating things happening with um, with the capital markets and the investors. And I know that there was a recent announcement, very recent, it was just last week, from one of the business to business disability groups in the United States. Mm. Uh, they were they're they're called disability colon in they're formerly called USBLN and they're a business to business association that supports businesses that want to include people with disabilities in their workforce and they made an announcement um, and the, I, I have it pulled up so I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it uh, investor group representing one trillion appeals to companies highlights financial benefits of embracing in an open and diverse workforce. Investors representing more than one trillion in combined assets led by New York State Comptroller Thomas P. DiNapoli and Oregon State Treasurer Tobias Reed today called on companies they invest in to create inclusive workplaces that can benefit from employing millions of talented people with disabilities who remain unrepresented in the workforce. And it was a joint statement uh, it, by including New York City Comptroller Scott Stringer, Illinois State Treasurer Michael Freerich, the California State Teachers Retirement System, and Fortune 500 Asset Manager Voya Financial. And the movement was encouraged and led by Ted Kennedy Jr., who's a bone cancer survivor, amputee, and board chair of the American Association of People with Disabilities. And so that is very interesting seeing something like this happen, especially with investors that have over $1 trillion of assets invested. Well, that's by- a very, absolutely, yeah, Deborah. That's a very useful piece of information. And I think it just points to the fact that this momentum is really 
you know, very broad stroke across so many groups that are driving it and, and not just among um, the um, the activists, if you like, you know, the, right, right, right. the minority uh, who are lobbying for this. It's, it's much more than that. It's really gone mainstream. No, but yes. there are still quite a few challenges. What do you see to be some of the main, you know, gaps to be filled, some of the more challenges? How do you see us working better uh, on this going forward? And another great question. And there are a lot of challenges. And I was speaking at a conference the other day and somebody asked me, me a question. They said, um, what do you see as the biggest barrier to the inclusion of people with disabilities in the workforce? And I mm. said, well, I think one of the biggest barriers is that even though this community is over a billion people, according to the World Health Organization, and in the United States, one in four Americans identify as having a disability, according to our CDC, um, it's still a community that nobody really wants to join. I have a daughter who's 32 years old now that was born with Down syndrome. And when she, when they told me that she had this disability, it, it really, it broke my heart because I thought, mm-hmm. what is she going to do? How is society going to accept her? Can she, can she have a good life? Can she be happy? So, so I think part of it continues to be awareness and education. Uh, there is one thing that I want to talk about um, that um, that you know about, and it's called mm-hmm. the Valuable 500, and it's being led by Dr. Caroline Casey, and she is um, an amazing talent that um, she also happens to be a person that um, has very poor vision, um, and mm-hmm. so she she has walked this path brilliant brilliant woman and she she were she decided that she wanted to take this and get this really on the minds of CEOs and getting them really engaged. And, you know, the advocates have talked about that for years, but we were never really successfully able to get the attention of the CEOs unless somebody in their family were impacted by disabilities and they understood, you know, the, they understood the potential as opposed to, you know, the, the negatives associated with it. So Caroline worked with um, some really prominent CEOs like Paul Pullman of Unilever, Satya Nandela from Microsoft, um, Sir Richard Branson from Virgin, and they got on the main stage at the World Economic Forum in Davos this year, talking about creating the valuable 500, getting 500 CEOs all over the world to commit to making disability inclusion part of their boardroom agenda. And there's no cost to join. They have 122 corporations in process of signing up. It's really getting a lot of legs. It's going to be at the World Economic Forum again next year. And Paul Pullman, one of the CEOs, is showing a lot of leadership with this. He wants this to become the valuable 5,000. So it's very (laughs) exciting watching these CEOs really get on board and say diversity and inclusion does make sense. And, you know, you can start somewhere. But why not start with people with disabilities, which goes goes all demographics, all of the women, obviously, religion, gender. It goes across all diversity groups. So it's very exciting. Wow. I think, you know, the Valuable 500 movement is all part of this um, whole trend that is sweeping uh, across sectors, uh, not just the CEOs, but, you know, uh, across, you know, public organizations, multilaterals, like the UN, which both you and I know quite well, and yes. the corporates. 
And I think what is happening is people are, are lo- looking at long and hard. What is the purpose of your business apart from just profits? Uh, I know it's one of my mantra that keeps saying, you know, purpose drives next profit and the valuable 500 and the mission statement, the appeal that you just read from the investors group. I think they're all cases in point uh, in the same direction, right? I agree. I agree. And that's why your work fascinated me so much because <laughs> I, I've i been in the financial industry before I became an entrepreneur. I was in the banking industry 25 years. And I watch and and I also work with investors. I have investors coming to me all the time asking me to, to help them with due diligence and asking questions and things like that. So I'm familiar with a lot of the investors, most of them being honestly in the United States. And, and I've seen them starting to understand that it cannot just be about capitalism. Capitalism is wonderful, but it we also have to give back to society. And so there's got to be a better balance. And I was reading this morning before the interview uh, about a gentleman. He's a billionaire that just um, gave his, his whole the he did a, um, a commencement um, speech, and he he told the entire um, audience that he was um, going to pay for their college education and college education is very, very expensive in the United States and it's wonderful, but people get into horrible debt and they, their, their debt grows bigger than they can handle. And it's, it's actually, we have alumni in the United States saying um, it's not worth it. If you have to borrow to go to college, just don't go to college and think about the impact that's going to have on the United States. We've already seen impact, um, but if we are not educating our our people, that's very, very bad for the United States. So this is something we have to figure out. And all of these big problems tie mm. together. Mm. So that's why the work you're doing, Helene, is very important because we need to make sure that the investors really understand where they can put their money to have the best impact for humanity. We're all in this together. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all in this together, Deborah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, um, there, there are no two ways about it. There are still lots of gaps to be filled. Um, you know, there's still lots more, you know, collective, you know, um, efforts to break down some of the silos uh, in order to move forward. Yes. You know, what are some of the, you know, kind of thoughts you like to leave with our list? Here. I mean, we could sit here talking forever, but unfortunately, <laughs> we, we cannot. So what are some of the most pertinent thoughts you'd like to leave with our listeners in driving this really important agenda forward? And thank you. That that's a wonderful question too. I think first of all, don't assume it's not happening in where you are. Uh, I had the honor to come over and speak in Macau, and I was really really impressed with many of the CEOs of the large hotel chains um, that were really dedicated to diversity and inclusion, and were already employing people with disabilities. We see amazing things happening in China, and people like to talk a lot about there. There are problems everywhere. I can get into all the problems in my beautiful country, but I choose to look at instead what's happening and where are the innovations. And so we have to we have to really 
think about really carefully about the unconscious bias and and making sure that we're not making decisions about other people because we don't have enough information. We need to deliberately include different types of people in the workforce. I'm I'm working on an article about the interview that I have had with Rob Newhouser. And one thing he said, don't just hire mini-me's. Don't hire people that look exactly like you, that think like you, that went to the same schools as you. Really think about diversity in a different way because we find that when we think about these things differently, that's when we see more creativeness and innovation. And can I just tell a real quick short story, Helene, to make this Yes, point? please. Yes, please. Well, there were uh, Mattel, which many people will know that Mattel's a very big toy manufacturer. We love them. Um, and they're the creators, or they, they own Barbie. And so some uh, a small group decided they were going to give the, uh, one Barbie some artificial intelligence. And so they programmed Barbie to be able to answer different questions that um, children, specifically little girls, would ask them. And then they, um, then they they showed it at a conference, a conference largely made up of women, and um, the they, they asked Barbie, a little girl asked Barbie about employment options, and she said, I want to be a computer scientist when I grow up, and um, Barbie answered, well, have you thought about fashion? And as you can imagine, the audience went a little crazy over that. And it turned out that the very group of talented people that had um, programmed Barbie were all men. And so think about if we'd had some diversity in there. And and I added a you know, little bit more to the story, but still, that is a true story. Um, and I think if you had had a woman technologist, that maybe a woman technologist with a disability as part of that group, those mistakes would not have been made. And so we are deciding what our world is going to look like in the future right now with everything that we're doing. And we have to make sure that everyone is included or society is going to continue to break down like we're seeing right now. So there is a lot of opportunities, but you have to think differently. And if you don't know how to even begin to think differently, bring in other people that can give you different viewpoints. But there's a lot of brilliant work happening and learn from what others are learning and doing. I just love that, you know, do not hire mini-me's and, yes. uh, you know, be inclusive. Um, you know, hiring mini-me's is not going to get it done. Thank you so much, Deborah. It's really been lovely talking to you and uh, probably, you know, there's enough food for thought to carry on to another conversation at some time in the new future. Thank you again. I agree. Thank you for your work. It really is making an impact. We appreciate you. Thank you.